Well, once again, I would like to give you all a very warm welcome to Stevenson High Kirk here in North Earshad for our summer series of morning devotions. Well, once again, we're joined by Reverend Alan Ford, who continues to lead us in our sermon series on 1 Samuel. Well, as we worship this morning, may the glorious presence of God fill your hearts and home. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome inspiring name. He is holy. And so we sing this morning in our opening hymn, Praise to the Lord. prayer for our neighbours. Father, we thank you for every woman, man and child in every corner of this town. 
from every corner of the world, all created in your image. Father, we ask, protect them from the evil one, convince them of your power, persuade them of your love, reveal to them your grace. For all who trust in Jesus, please grant us courage to keep walking in your spirit so they can see in us through love for each other patience and affliction and the joyful hope of eternity with you As we invite them in. Our reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 7, continuing our studies in the book of First Samuel. You may remember, just to give you the background, that the Ark of the Covenant had proved to be a problem, to say the least, for the Philistines. They returned it, the men of Beth Shemesh. Uh, some of them looked into the Ark and 70 of them died. And they summoned the people from uh, Kiriath-Jerim to come and take the Ark uh, to their place. First Samuel 7. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the Ark of the Lord. They took it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the Ark of the Covenant. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the Ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim. And all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of your foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And so the Israelites put away their Bales and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. And then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. And when they descend, when gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was the leader of Israel at Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. 
And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a sucking lamb, offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. And while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a, a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. Many Israel rushed out of Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point beyond beth -car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. And so the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israelite territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath, the Philistines had captured from Israel, were restored to her. And Israel delivered the neighbouring territory from the power of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as judge over Israel all the days of his life. From year to year he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. Amen. Remember, the ark was at Beth Shemesh. But some of the men of Beth Shemesh, rather stupidly, had looked into the ark and seemed to have died as a result. The ark had been sent back by the Philistines, but the men of Beth Shemesh had not treated the ark with reverence and respect. And when they realised that God's hand was heavy on them, they sent to Kiriath Jerim, a few miles down the road, asking them to take possession of the ark. There seems to be no explanation as to why the ark was not returned to Shiloh, where it had been previous to uh, Phineas and Hophni taking it into battle. Perhaps it was sufficient that the people of Shiloh had not cared for the Ark of the Covenant as they should. Obviously, neither Eli nor his expected successors, his sons, were there as they were dead. In any case, the men of Kiriath-Jerim came to Beth Shemesh and took the Ark to their town. But they treated the ark with due reverence. They took it to the house of a trusted man, Abinadab, 
but recognised that more than simple security was required and so they actually consecrated that is prayerfully dedicated Abinab's son Eliezer to guard the ark. This Abinab by the way is not to be confused with three others of around the same time who bear the same name a son of Jesse, a son of Saul and a, a servant of Solomon. Clearly Abinadab mentioned here was a Levite for they would only entrust the Ark of the Covenant to a person who was a priest. This point effectively Samuel takes over the leadership of Israel. He's called a judge as well as a prophet and a priest. Things are in a pretty bad way. Effectively, they are subject to the Philistines who have been the victor in the battles. Samuel, however, does not call for a bigger army or even a revolt against the Philistines. What he calls for is religious revival. Samuel said to the whole of the house of Israel, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of your foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Samuel clearly links their defeat to the spiritual and moral decline which has spread insidiously across the people of God under the priesthood of Phineas and Hophni and their father Eli. They had led the people, by example, into worship of other gods as well as sexual immorality. And when the people did not hear the truth, they filled it with lies and half-truths, which is really no different from today. The people responded to Samuel's call. It was hard to see why except that God worked in their hearts. They gave up their foreign gods and the evil practices which accompanied their worship and they gave up the symbols of their heathen worship, their asterisks. And we tend to think of Baal or Baal as one god but there were a lot of local Baals or Baals. Sometimes for a house or a field because we tend to see God as one and only one, it's maybe hard for us to grasp the way in which uh, these minor deities were woven into the life of the people, each as he wished or thought. I suppose we uh, encountered something similar amongst the worshippers of Hinduism when we were in Nepal with shrines every 50 yards or less and everywhere in Kathmandu only after they had turned away from their gods and obeyed the first commandment to have only one God. That is when they repented and Samuel called them together at Mizpah where Samuel said he would intercede for them before God. There are several places called Mizpah in the Bible. The name means watchtower and several of them are not far from Kiriath Jerim and Jerusalem. The most famous one 
is mentioned in Genesis 31, where the words, the Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent from one another, are associated with it. And in recent years, I've been associated with jewellery items, uh, expressing a bind between people even after death, so that occasionally you'll find this word on a gravestone, meaning the Lord watch between me and thee when we were absent from one another. Unfortunately, the Philistines saw this as an opportunity. With them all gathered together at Mizpah, it was too good an opportunity to miss. In more recent years, other enemies of Israel have tried the same, and so there was the Yom Kippur War, which lasted for three weeks back in 1973. I remember it well because I actually had a Jewish rabbi, a colleague at university, Hillel Avedan, who was called up for that war. Uh, but by the time he got there, it was over. Uh, I remember talking to him saying, but you wouldn't actually carry a gun, would you? And he said, no, no, uh, because I'm a religious, I would be a stretcher bearer and uh, I would be there uh, serving God in my way. And when the Jews hear that the Philistines are coming, they prove that their repentance is actually genuine. It's not just words. For they asked Samuel to keep praying. And they ask Samuel to keep praying, and Samuel makes a sacrifice of a lamb as a burnt offering. And when the ark has been carried into battle, they've been treating God as if they could control him. But now they're in a very, very different mood. Now they know that God has the right to control them. Lives that are given over to God are lives which recognise the Lordship over that life. Effectively, God is once more in his rightful place. He's simply the Lord. Thunder from God placed the Philistines in a state of panic so that they fled and the Israelites pursued them and routed them. And it's clear that they regained trust and faith in God is directly linked to that victory. For unlike the battle where they had lost the ark, this battle has been one which God was actively involved on behalf of his people. And Samuel then sets a stone to mark the place where God has helped them. Nowadays, we have war memorials in town centres. And if you go to Culloden, you will see memorials on the battlefields. But this stone that Samuel sets up has a marker. It's not a war memorial. It's something much greater. It's a marker of God's grace. We've already touched on the purpose of the stone at Mizpah with the name the Lord watch over me and thee when we're absent from one another. This stone, this marker, has a different theme. He named it Ebenezer. Thus far has the Lord helped us. Ebenezer became a popular name for churches, especially independent ones for many years, and indeed became a popular name for a boy for a while, as we see 
and the main character in Dickens' Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge. <coughs> I think perhaps Dickens had a sense of humour in naming that character Ebenezer. The stone actually marked the site of three battles found in chapters 4, 5, 7 and only in the third battle were the Israelites successful that only after they had returned in repentance to God and given him his rightful place. Also marked the end of hostilities at least for many years at least as long as Samuel lived. All the cities that had been captured by the Philistines, including the fortified cities of Ekron and Gath, where the ark had been taken when it was captured, were recaptured by the Israelites. Under Samuel, a time of peace ensued, which after years of battling against the Philistines must have been a great, great blessing to them. It came, however, only after they got the relationship with God right once more. Samuel, whom we've already seen as a priest and a prophet, is referred to at the end of our reading as a judge. He seems to have been what we would call a circuit judge, in that he went from place to place administering justice, but always returning to his base at Ramah, where there was an altar to the Lord built by Samuel himself. High court judges in Scotland uh, do something similar today and go from place to place and constitute a high court, often in a, a sheriff court building. And one of my tasks at one time was to constitute the high court in prayer when it came to Airdrie and to sit on the bench um, with my full robes, which I hardly ever wear anymore, uh, with the judge in his full robes, uh, him in red and me in black, uh, until the jury was impanelled. There were two Ramas, one about three miles from Jerusalem and close to Bethlehem and Rachel's tomb, and another about 12 miles north of Jerusalem. And it's the second one that we have here. It was, remember, the birthplace of Samuel, the place where Hannah and the Elkanah came from, Hannah may have given Samuel to the temple, but clearly he came back to live in the place of his birth, Ramah. Perhaps when Shiloh, where the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant had been, ceased to be a place of worship, he headed home. This Ramah is found in the New Testament by its more modern name, in that a man from there gave the use of his family tomb for Jesus' burial. For Rama became known as Arimathea. Mustn't be confused with modern Rama, which is in northern Israel and is a mixed Christian Muslim population and which is currently in a fairly lawless place after dark. Now it seemed that Samuel was based in Ramah, the place of worship at Shiloh has fallen into disuse, and the ark itself is in kiriath Jerem. We have to remember, however, that Israel is not a large country, and in fact all these places are within a few hours' walk of each other. <coughs> the picture at the end of our reading is one of peace, prosperity, of sound government, 
But these are all linked to one thing and one thing only, giving God his rightful place in the land. And it's perhaps significant the last words of verse 17 are, he built an altar there to the Lord. God deals with us in the same way as he dealt with Israel in many ways. Away from God, the people of Israel went from disaster to disaster. There was moral decline, there was economic decline, there was descent into lawlessness. And when we go away from God and fail to give him his rightful place in our lives, then we can expect our lives to descend into sin and eventually go from one disaster to another. If he were to give his rightful place in our lives, is lawlessness, which is a breach of the first commandment. And if that's true of us as individuals, it's equally true of a nation. Maybe you feel your life is one disaster after another. And just maybe the answer lies in your relationship with God. It's something each and every one of us must dwell upon from time to time. Without God, there's disaster. And with God, there's peace and justice. And that's true, not just at an individual level, but at a national level as well. Maybe in the light of a reading, you could reconsider the position of our own nation and its troubles in this day and generation. Whether it's national or individual, there's a truth that cannot be avoided. An old hymn puts it this way. Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Soaring, I shall be in spirit, till released from flesh and sin, yet from what I do inherit, here thy praises I'll begin. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here, by thy great help, I've come, and I hope, by thy good pleasure, safely to arrive at home. There comes a day when we have to stop and take stock of our lives, rather than just stumble on from day to day. And we look back, we can see God's blessing, and we can see our sin, and God's patience with us. Perhaps hardly dare to look forward and yet as we pause to reflect on our lives there's opportunity to draw a line in the sand and set up an Ebenezer where we mark that God has done in our lives thus far and recommit ourselves to knowing him that will bless us more than we can imagine thus far he watches over, has watched over us, and he watches over us still. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Gracious Lord, 
Loving Father, thus far you have watched over us. You've called us into your family. You've poured your love into our hearts. You've assured us of the forgiveness of sins. We look back over our lives and see your hand upon us, directing us into your paths, watching over us and keeping us safe. And Lord, we look back and say, yes, thus far you have watched over us, but we know in our hearts that that promise that you're with us always is valid today and until we are called home into your presence and to you be all the glory. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen.
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.